Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas and here's a question for all of us. Are we people of contentment or do we, in a week of stock market turbulence, economic uncertainty, warnings about the possibilities of a recession, do we live peaceful lives in the midst of the storms? It's a tough and challenging subject. The Apostle Paul, nearly 2,000 years ago, wrote from a prison cell, which could have actually have been death row for him. He was incarcerated either in Rome or Ephesus and was increasingly concerned that he was about to be executed. Not that he was worried about dying. He'd made his peace with that. He was just concerned about usefulness. And in the first chapter of Philippians, he describes his attitude. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But in the fourth chapter of that letter, having discussed financial support from the Philippians that was given to him, he shares these remarkable words. He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. This is a challenging call, and it's a vital call, this invitation to us all to live contented lives. Because stop and think about it, most of the problems in the world are fueled by discontentment. It's the root of crime. I want that, and I'm going to take it. Of the illegal drug trade, I don't like the reality that is mine. I'd like something different. Many marriages fragment because there is discontentment about that partner. Many young people particularly are shrouded by body shaming, not happy with the way that they look. And on the macro level, wars begin because of discontentment. We want that land. In the early 1930s, Germany was in an economic and political crisis following the stock market crash of 1929. Millions of Germans lost their job. Adolf Hitler rode into power, surfing on an atmosphere of discontentment. And let's face it, in our everyday lives, we can be unhappy because that person in front of us is driving too fast or too slow. The weather's too hot or too cold. It's an age-old problem. Surely discontentment surfaced in the Garden of Eden. You can have it all, but don't touch that tree. And of course, we know what happened there. Discontentment. Let's talk about it. Contentment, that's our theme, and I learned something about contentment when I saw a sticker that someone had placed on the back bumper of their car, and spotting it, I was just intrigued. It simply said, I want my dog's life. I glanced at the grinning mutt that was staring back at me through the rear window of the stickered car. Its tail was wagging, which apparently means it was feeling good, although there's been no interview with a dog to actually confirm that theory. Its tongue was lolling, the canine face fixed in that smile that dogs sport when they're hot and their mouths are wide open. That dog looked rather happy, and for a moment, 
having its life seemed like a really appealing idea. Dogs have it pretty easy. They have no mortgage to worry about, they go to the bathroom pretty much wherever they please, and their main work is to bark at anyone who looks remotely like a burglar. Dogs have no idea what a prime minister, a president, a coronavirus, or a stock market crash looks like. Having a dog's life sounded rather attractive. But then I thought again. These days, dogs usually exist on a diet of rather bland-looking pellets. It must be irritating to have to sit, fetch, and beg on command, and sleep in a wicker basket. And then there's all that bottom-sniffing that is routine doggy etiquette when meeting a fellow dog. That's not appealing. It's a dog's life was a phrase birthed in the 16th century because back then, dogs lived outside, were fed on scraps, and generally had short and fairly miserable lives. As I pondered the aforementioned sticker, I wondered, do we waste time wishing that we had someone else's existence? We can spend our days regretting that we are not that other person who is richer, thinner, better looking, smarter, or more successful. We devour magazines devoted to photographing and chronicling the lives of airbrushed celebrities. Are we fascinated with the well-heeled and famous because we just love a slice of the life that they have, which surely must be happier than our own. That craving can lead us into disaster as we fritter our days away with ingratitude, longing for someone else's wife, someone else's life. Perhaps that's why, when God had just 10 things that he wanted to say to humanity, a strong warning about coveting one's neighbor's stuff appeared on the list. But it's not just about materialism. Recently, I caught myself hankering for an earlier version of my own existence, back to when our children were young, when life seemed simpler. Nostalgia paints yesterday's sky bluer, untamed daydreaming tomorrow's grass greener, endless preoccupation with what was in the past or with what might possibly be in the future steals our ability to be fully present in today. I was gripping hold of life so tightly I was squeezing the life out of life. Surely true success is found in being contented, as the Apostle Paul shared with us earlier. He had a rougher life than most and would never have made the pages of one of those glossy celeb-celebrating magazines. Everywhere Paul went, there was a riot. Assassins pledged to kill him. He tasted deep despair, but somehow he was content. By God, literally, I'd like to learn that lesson too. I'm asking the Lord to enroll me in Contentment Academy. Perhaps here's a step in the right direction with this declaration. Today, I don't want to be Tom Cruise, Albert Einstein, Gandhi, or if you don't mind me saying so, you. I don't want my dog's life, my earlier life, or the impossibly suave George Clooney's life. Hold on a minute. Being Mr. Clooney just for a while would be rather nice. Oops, back to school. As we hear about the Apostle Paul saying that he's learned the secret of contentment, let's realize that he is a qualified teacher for us. Paul's life of suffering as a Christian began on the day of his conversion. He was struck blind with the heavenly light of Christ's appearance to him on the road to Damascus. And then right at the beginning of his journey of discipleship, Jesus told him, you're going to walk through trouble. 
In Acts chapter 9 and verse 16, we read, will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And if we're in any doubt, just turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 sometime, because Paul talks about working hard, being imprisoned, being flogged, exposed to death, having 40 lashes minus one, being beaten with rods, pelted with stones, being shipwrecked, constantly being on the move, being in danger from bandits and in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the country, in danger at sea. He knew what it was to experience some really challenging circumstances. So as he tells us that he's learned the secret of contentment, what does that mean and what doesn't it mean? But first of all, this is not a vow of poverty because Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. There were times when Paul and his missionary group were entertained by high-ranking officials on the island of Cyprus and on Malta, and so he would have experienced lavish hospitality, fine food. Paul is not saying that this is just about being in lack. It's about knowing how to enjoy what's nice in life as well. It's not about being passive either. It's not about having no ambition or not working hard because the Bible is against selfish ambition. It doesn't mean that we'll never complain about our circumstances, especially in our prayers. If in doubt, read the Psalms. There's plenty of complaining there. And it's not about fatalism, somehow believing that everything that happens to us is part of the plan, so we need to submit to it. I don't believe that for a moment. It is not God's will that little children are trafficked. It is not God's will that women are raped and abused. This is not part of the plan. It's part of living in a broken world. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done. If everything's part of the plan, why would we bother? Surely contentment is about seeing the truth about stuff. Nice stuff is nice, but it doesn't sit at the center of life. We don't have to suffer from possessionitis, where we go to a beach, enjoy it, and then look at those multi-million pound homes on the beach, and then feel that we need to have one to more fully enjoy that location. We can enjoy it without cost. We're told that God will never ever leave us, and that is an antidote for possessionitis and greed. God affirms to us that we will find contentment not as we look for contentment, but as we walk with him, then contentment can come, as we make him our priority, because Christianity makes a terrible hobby. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Contentment. We can learn how to live in that as we walk daily with Jesus. As we're thinking about contentment, I am so aware that this is a difficult subject, especially as so many face some very real difficulties with rising fuel costs, electricity bills, all of the headlines that batter us every day show us that this is certainly a difficult time. But somehow with God's help, May it be that we as believers live lives that 
find peace and contentment in the midst of those challenging circumstances, not denying them, but facing them. I'm reminded of that story in Acts chapter 16, when Paul and his friend Silas were in prison. Listen to these remarkable words. It says, after they'd been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in an inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. But then listen to these words. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Frankly, I'm intimidated by the faith and faithfulness that Paul and Silas expressed that day. But they were not super Christians. We shouldn't separate ourselves from their experience. With God's grace, they were able to live in that moment. It was the Apostle Paul again who said this, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It's in Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7. Paul is showing us that as we walk each day with God, we can learn to live peacefully, contentedly. Hugh Prather, in his book Notes to Myself, said this, If only I had forgotten future greatness and looked at the green things and reached out to those around me and smelled the air and heard the rain on my roof and put my arms around my wife. Perhaps it's not too late. Contentment. Perhaps it's not too late. See you next time. Lucas on Life.